This is Heavy Petting with Leanne Mole on CliffCentral.com. Every single Wednesday from 10 a.m. until 11 uh, this week, we've got a lot of fun stuff coming up. Um, we are going to be chatting to Emma Sadlier. Emma Sadlier is a social media law expert, and she'll be speaking to us about a lot of the animal stuff that's been appearing online lately, um, particularly Kendall Jones, the Texan cheerleader who shot exotic animals and put them on display on Facebook. We'll speak about uh, what social media has on this and what the animal world um, thinks about it. Also, what to expect at the World of Dogs and Cats this weekend. It's this weekend, I can't wait, in Johannesburg. Um, I'll actually be taking part in a celebrity dog course where um, I'll be taking a dog around an agility course, which will be quite fun. Uh, we'll also play you part one of a four-part series with Colin Bell on rhino poaching. Um, and we also meet the dog that saved the World Cup. So, as I mentioned, Emma Sadler coming up a little later. Firstly, animals in the news. Well, an animal rights activist and, its, and their group are circulating an online petition to help Arturo, who is apparently the saddest polar bear in the world. This polar bear lives in unsafe temperatures at the Mendoza Zoo in Argentina, where it's really, really hot, far too hot for polar bears. Experts observing Artujo's behavior rather say that he's been displaying symptoms of depression after his longtime companion and the only other bear in Argentina died back in 2012 from overheating. Let's hear what they have to say. Animal rights activists are circulating an online petition to help Arturo, the polar bear that lives in unsafe temperatures at the Mendoza Zoo in Argentina. Experts observing Arturo's behavior say that he has been displaying symptoms of depression after his longtime companion and the only other polar bear in Argentina died back in 2012 from overheating. Argentinian professor Fernanda Aronson, who has addressed the government about her concern for Arturo, is quoted as saying, You can see he is going crazy. He moves the way polar bears do when they are suffering a lot of stress. He has been filmed rocking back and forth in a way that signals distress. A bit to move Arturo to the International Polar Bear Conservation Center at Assiniboine Park Zoo in Winnipeg, Canada was denied when experts at Mendoza Zoo claimed that the bear wouldn't be able to survive the trip in his fragile condition. Additionally, in order to legally move the polar bear to another zoo, they have to provide medical records covering a minimum of three years, which the zoo reportedly doesn't have. Temperatures at the zoo can reportedly reach over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, and Arturo only has a pool with less than 20 inches of water to cool off. Well, this animal made big news this week in Animals in the News. Rescuers this week worked for two days to free a young whale stranded on a beach in Queensland, Australia. Um, it became, again, a big social media phenomenon, um, with lots of people being filmed on the beach doing their very best to save this whale. They worked for two days, um, and there were five failed attempts to return the whale to the sea. But good news, even though those failed attempts um, didn't work initially, obviously, they managed to fit him with a special harness and tow him out to sea. And the whale is thought to be a two-year-old humpback beached on Palm Beach, south of Brisbane. A marine official now says she's cautiously optimistic that the whale will survive. Uh, humpbacks migrate north from Antarctica to warmer waters of Queensland in winter. And remember, beachings happen from time to time, but experts still don't know what causes them. In the U.S., Connecticut State Police have a new weapon in the war on child porn. It's a golden Labrador, which has been trained to track computer hardware and sniff out child porn. The dog, named Thoreau, went through a special 22-week program 
in which it was taught to sniff out thumb drives, hard drives and other gadgets, according to the Providence Journal. Uh, child pornographers have been known to hide their hard drives in ceiling tiles or even radios, but try as they might, Thoreau's nose knows. He sifted through a desk in one of the uh, demonstrations. He found a hard drive in a Ziploc bag in the upper shelf of the desk, along with a flash drive and thumb drive. Um, in exchange, he gets food, of course, and that's apparently what he does every single day for his work every day. Uh, time to take a look now at our Help a Horny Friends segment, um, where we have a look at where we are in the war on rhino poaching. Some news from uh, Mozambican poachers. Uh, I told you about them last week. There were two arrested um, in Nelspruit, in fact, for poaching rhino. Um, and they have actually been sentenced now to, to, to 16 years in prison each. And that's after appearing in court in Nelspruit. In the meanwhile, in the United States, Republicans want to hold up new U.S. rules intended to crack down on ivory sales because it's becoming more and more difficult for owners of musical instruments, antiques and guns made with ivory to trade in such items. So the rules are aimed at combating elephant and rhino poaching at a time when illegal trade in ivory is flourishing. The legislative effort is in response to complaints. The rules are making it impossible in many cases for owners of objects which have already been made of ivory um, to have them legally imported before these bans imposed in 1975 and 1990 to sell such items, thereby undermining their value. So antique ivory is often used for knife and handgun handles, um, also as part of violin bows and parts of vintage guitars. They're also used in antique chess, chess sets and walking sticks as well. Well, um, I went to Hart Bay where I chatted to rhino conservationist and author Colin Bell um, to speak to him about the latest where we are on the rhino issue. And uh, he started off by telling me about the rhino wars and where exactly they began and when they began. And if they continue, when will rhinos become extinct? Will it be in our lifetime, perhaps in just a few years? Let's hear what Colin Bell has to say. What happened is that we've had almost three rhino wars. We had the turn of last 110 years ago when all the early explorers were traveling through Africa and they were uh, shooting rhino left, right and center. And so the rhino numbers at, in 1900 were about half a million throughout Africa. And uh, so we had a big plummet then. And then we had a major, major rhino, second rhino war was the 70s and 80s when places like Zimbabwe and Zambia and all these countries really were flattened for their black rhino predominantly, including Botswana. And so that is the second rhino war. But what happened in 1993, the whole rhino situation changed because up to then there was value. And the Yemenis were big buyers because they have the, these Yemen, Yemenis have these curved daggers called jambayas. And every big sort of important Yemeni soldier had to have a jambaya. And the really top guys had their jambayas made out of rhino horn. The handle was all rhino horn. And if you look at a picture of, say, Lawrence of Arabia, there he is and he's all his garb and he's got his jambaya and it's got a proper nice big handle and the chances are it's probably rhino horn. So the Yemenis were big users plus Chinese pharmacopoeia. Then in 1993, the CITES legislation was tightened up and a lot of the Asian countries joined CITES. Uh, so Korea joined. There was a bit of use in Korea. Taiwan was not a member of CITES, but they implemented CITES regulations. Djibouti, which is the access route into Yemen, 
joined CITES in 1992. But the big one was China. China was a member of CITES since 1980. But in 1993, for the first time, they applied strict rhino legislation. And so in 1993, bang, suddenly the demand was taken away. Mm. It was just now around the world, it was basically illegal to use and trade rhino. Yeah. And so the poaching just plummeted down to almost nothing. I mean, in South Africa and those from 1993 and Zimbabwe the combined, we probably had less than 10 rhino a year. Sometimes it's 7, sometimes 13, sometimes 25, sometimes 6. You know, it's just hovering mm. around. How many are we on now? Well, in 1993, we were as low as 2,300 black rhino, and we had about 7,500 white rhino. Now we're up to 25,000. So we had a, from 1993 to now, we had a massive increase in rhinos. Mm. And uh, everything was fine. 93s, all the way through the 90s, the early 2000s were fantastic. But in, in the two, about mid-2000s, things changed. And what changed was that somebody in Vietnam said that there's a cure for cancer, and the cure is rhino horn. Yeah, gosh. And suddenly in Vietnam, boom. Now, that's been debunked, and that's no, no, no longer the driver. The driver today in, is Vietnam, and it's all around status symbol. So if you want to go and do a business deal, and I want to really impress you, I give you as a gift to you a rhino horn, or part of a rhino horn, and you'll grind that up with a special rhino bowl, and you'll use that as a special tonic, as a good, good health tonic. Mm. But it's a status symbol, and Vietnam is driving this. And what happened in, two, in the mid-2000s? is that we allowed criminal syndicates in South Africa, to, uh, um, sorry, we allowed Vietnamese criminal syndicates to come to South Africa and shoot our rhinos legally. So we had these guys... Were they paying for it? They were paying. They were going and finding a hunter, and the hunter would then go and uh, sell them a rhino hunt. It started off at about 150,000 rand, and then built up to 450,000 rand per rhino. So Vietnamese could come in legally into South Africa and shoot a rhino, call it 400,000 rand. But... The real value, now there's, because of the, the cancer and all the rest of it, they built up the, the demand in Vietnam and the, the, the whole sort of status story. And then they could come and buy a rhino for 400,000 rand, but go and sell it in Vietnam for 3 million. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a slam dunk deal. You have to do that once a year and you don't have to work. Yeah. So suddenly it was such a great business that, um, we found hordes of Vietnamese coming through, and then they didn't get and couldn't get enough of them. And the, our sort of there was a whole lot of sort of canned rhino hunters who were supplying happily to do the shooting. And there's a big court case coming up now where vets were involved. And I mean, can you imagine vets involved in this thing? But there's one court case with Darby Krunovalt, which has been going on for four years now. He's coming up in court at the end of uh, this month, and that's going to be a very a pivotal issue. But what we allowed is we legally allowed criminal syndicates from Asia to come and shoot rhino horns and export them out of here with a CITES certificate. And that's the most important part of the story, is that when you take a rhino and you shoot it, you're allowed to leave with your trophy and a CITES certificate. And that CITES certificate gives you cover wherever you are. So you come in, you're making a fortune anyway. And then what they found is that they weren't able to shoot enough because they were sort of only allowed to shoot a couple of rhinos per year on your one person. But you could actually go to different provinces and you could duck the system a bit. But there's only so much ducking you could do. So then they started to hire Thai prostitutes. So we, I don't know if you remember in the Sunday Times, there was a story of all these Thai prostitutes going and shooting. Now they yeah. didn't even know which side of the rider or the rifle to use. Yeah. But they were <laughs> able to bring these people in bring the prostitutes and go and shoot all these rhinos 
And from in the mid ninety in the mid two thousands, they worked out that the total number of permits issued to Vietnamese was something like three hundred twenty nine rhinos were legally shot. And then they started to clamp down on that. They suddenly realized, hang on, this is not right. And uh, but suddenly out of Eastern Europe, we started to get a whole lot of non-traditional hunters also coming to shoot rhinos. But you look at where are the biggest populations of Vietnamese outside of Vietnam? They're in Eastern Europe. Mm. So what, what's happening There's now? The, the same again. criminal syndicates yeah. are now getting folks from Czechoslovakia and all Eastern Europe to come down and shoot rhinos at 400,000 so they can sell there them at three, four. They're unstoppable. Yeah. Well, and the tragedy of this whole story, Leon, is that these syndicates are now sitting with probably 500 legal CITES permits. So if you now have got a business, you can now sell it or you're going to stockpile it and you're going to pay 400000 But you can now go to a poaching uh, <coughs> bunch of guys and say, listen, I'm going to pay you, call it 100000 rand or 200000 rand. It's still cheaper than going and buying a legal hunt or 300000 Even if it's half a million, it's still cheaper than what you can sell it for over in Vietnam. So you can go along and go to the create more supply by going and enticing people to go and poach. Yeah. But they've got the 500 permits sitting overseas to cover them in case they get caught. So they can, let's say they ship them in 50 at a time. Yes. And normally for most goods, they reckon Interpol records, you, you maybe find 10% of what's coming through. But in countries with poor legislation or where you can bribe people, that goes down even yes, further. Yes, even more, yeah. So you can just bring in 50 at a time, 50 at a time, 50 at a time, and you can bring hundreds and hundreds, and then you get caught with one consignment. Flash your permit. Thank you very much. Problem goes away. Yeah. So what we've done is we've allowed criminal syndicates to legally come into South Africa, legally shoot our rhino, although the, most of those, the hunts were done illegally. This is why we've got criminal cases. I mean, you've yeah. And now we've perpetuated the system. What we've done now is that from 1993, when there was no demand, there was no poaching. What we have allowed is the process and the uh, system to manipulate our current legislation and create a whole new market in Vietnam. So mm. we're in trouble. Okay, and so if, if this continues, as if it continues as we are now, uh, we're, we're, Rhino is going to become extinct. And how long is that going to take? Well, if you look at this Kruger Park statistics, and you look at the current rates of poaching, and you extrapolate, you say, right, rhinos can breed in ideal situations 9%, and the average is about 7% per year. The, in a poor situation, maybe rhinos will increase at 5%. And you graph this whole thing out, and you put it against the poaching. Yeah. The very worst, and you assume that there's going to be four or 5,000 rhinos around the world in zoos or in captive situations like these high-security farms, you take them out of that. And you say rhinos in the wild will be extinct at the very, very most conservative 12, 13 years from now. At the, at the very worst, they could be extinct in the wild within six years. That's yeah. how bad it is. It is an absolute shocker. And what the, the real, and this is where the problem comes, CITES next meets in Cape Town in 2016. That's the next big CITES meeting. We had a meeting every three years. They get together and they make decisions on how to make laws and all that. So in 2013 uh, was the last one. We couldn't get our act together about this trade story. So now 2016 is the next big one. So 2016, we're sitting down in Cape Town, and the South African government wants to persuade the world to go and change legislation. However, it's not on that day. Let's just say they vote and they say, yes, um, 
you can't stop trading straight away. First of all, there's a whole lot of processes that have to happen here. So it this is going to, even if they say yes, it it how, how long is that process going to take? Probably two, three, four years to get all our provinces right because we've got to get rid of corruption. We've got to get our systems of storage. We've got to make sure that we've got a whole database. We've got to have all these things in place. So at least three, four years. Then the further complication is that our buyer countries, the countries who want to go and buy Rhino, have to then also get their act together as far as CITES goes. Now, the last time China tried to do it for elephants, it took them six years to get their stories in place before CITES would allow them to buy ivory. So that's also going to be a whole lot of years. So if we trying to put a program together to go and be a snake oil salesman selling something which doesn't work to the world, hoping to persuade the world in 2016 that we're going to go and trade rhino horn, but then at the very earliest probably that we can trade rhino horn is probably 20 22, something like that, mm. because of all the processes. By then, the rhino is going to be gone. gone anyway. So yeah. what we're doing is we're trying to go for the sil silver bullet solution, which economists say will not work, And but on the timing side of things, cannot work, because by the time it's all done, the rhino is going to be gone. And we're a, a divided society. So we really are in trouble. Listening to Heavy Petting on Cliff Central with myself, Leanne Mole. That was Colin Bell, who is a renowned rhino conservationist and author. We'll chat to him again next week, and we'll find out why a man like himself has not given up hope, even though we have the dire figures. So what, that's 25,000 rhino left in the wild in South Africa. And uh, if you didn't know this, there are only 260, just 260 wattled cranes in South Africa. They're one of five critically endangered birds in the country. Africa's first green chick-rearing facility has been launched in KZN, which is great news to help save South Africa's dwindling wattled crane population. The nursery was constructed by the KZN Crane Foundation at the Bull Barnes Crane and Uribe Nature Reserve, and it aims to raise and release seven birds into the wild every single year. Now, the chicks will be um, raised in isolation with no human contact. In fact, caretakers in crane costumes will spend 10 hours a day teaching chicks the skills to survive the wild. The birds are safest in the wetlands, um, as they are less vulnerable to predators such as jackals there. And uh, something you may not know, cranes lay two eggs, but they only raise one chick. The second egg is abandoned, and those eggs are the ones that are going to end up at the Swattled Crane Center in KZN. So that should boost this population, this terrible figure of 260 left in the country. The uh, project cost about 1.3 to 1.5 million rand, was sponsored by NGOs, state bodies and local farmers. Plans for this project started 13 years ago and it's only come to fruition now, which shows you that um, our plans for rhinos may already be too late. Moving to Japan, where whale whaling itself is um, causing a huge problem in terms of whale populations there, uh, but the newly created Japan Whale and Dolphin Watching Council says that whale watching may replace whaling in Japan. They're promoting marine mammal ecotourism, offering a lucrative alternative as Japan loses its taste for hunting wild cetaceans. So as we know, Japan has a bad reputation for killing whales and dolphins en masse. And these are practices that persist despite mounting international criticism. But the tide of public opinion is also turning inside Japan where a 2012 poll found that 90% of respondents hadn't bought whale meat in a year. And as Japan's interest in whaling wanes, another more mutually beneficial industry has helped taking its place, whale watching. 
So we'll watch that and see where that goes. And then in Edinburgh, Edinburgh's zoo's giant panda Tian Tian has conceived after artificial insemination, although it's still too early to detect whether she's actually pregnant. Tian Tian and her mate Yang Guang arrived in 2011 as the first pandas in the United Kingdom for 17 years. They're on loan for 10 years from their native China and are central to an international conservation project. There are fewer than 2,500 mature giant pandas in the wild. According to an agreement with China, any cubs born in Scotland, which has a similar climate to their native habitat in the Sichuan Mountains, will remain at Edinburgh Zoo for two to three years before reintroduction into the wild in China. I think it's time for a break on heavy petting. When we come back, doggy style. When life leaves you high and dry, I'll be at your door tonight if you need help, if you need help. I'll shut down the city lights, I'll lie, cheat, I'll beg and bribe to make you well, to make you well. When enemies are at your door, I'll carry you away from more if you need help, if you need help. Your hope dangling by a string I'll share in your suffering To make you well To make you well Give me reasons to believe That you would do the same for me And I would do it for you For you Baby, I'm not moving on I'll love you long after you're gone You're gone, gone, gone When you fall like a statue I'm gonna be there to catch you Put you on your feet You on your feet And if your well is empty Not a thing will prevent me Tell me what you need What do you need
waiting for you And long after you're gone, gone, gone I'll love you long after you're gone, gone this is Heavy Pacing with Leanne Mull on Cliff Central. Remember, you can give us a call if you like, 0861 555 You can also follow me on Twitter, Leanne Mull. That's L-E-I-G-H-A-N-N-M-O-L. Super excited about this weekend. It's finally time for the World of Dogs and Cats, something that I look forward to every single year. It's taking place this weekend. That's the 18th to the 20th of July at the Gallagher Convention Center in Midrand. And we've got the MD of WODAC, as it's called, the World of Dogs and Cats, um, Brian, uh, who is also an avid dog trainer. Um, this is Brian Blades, and he joins us now on the line. Hi, Brian. Uh, good morning, Leanne. Are you excited for what's coming up? What can we expect that's different this year? Well, this year we've managed to uh, get the uh, some koi, and we've got a much koi fish. So there's some of the top South African uh, specimens of koi fish will be on show and we've also got a horse arena so this year there will be horses in an arena uh, so people will be able to see that uh, and then yeah with normal normal exciting uh, events with all the dogs uh, we've got our cat show cat of the year show will be also held uh, at Wodak so there's plenty of activity the whole weekend. Um, I went last week to the media opening of Wodak and I saw some horrible-looking spiders. I mean, I love all creatures, great and small, but <laughs> I just have a problem with those spiders. They're absolutely enormous, and I believe they'll be in the Hall of Reptiles this year. There's, there is a big Hall of Reptiles, and one of the features this year will be the uh, tarantulas. Um, there are, I don't know, I think if I remember rightly, there's something like a hundred different species of tarantula, um, which is quite amazing. Some of them are beautiful and and brightly coloured, others uh, not so. But if you're not interested, if you're not keen on spiders, that's probably not the place for you. <laughs> probably not. I, I often end up walking past um, uh, lots of glass cases of reptiles with my face pressed against the wall, and the very next one is, is a tarantula that looks like it's sitting on my face. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so we're looking forward to the Hall of Dogs, Hall of Cats, Hall of Reptiles, um, Magic Horses, which um, is new this year. Um, also budgies, parrots, fish, as you mentioned, koi, rabbits, pedigree rats. I held one of those last week. Well, I have to say it, it's pedigree rats. These are the people that are breeding rats and, and keeping their breeding records and registering them as purebred rats. And there, are, there obviously are quite a few different types of, of rats, like there are of guinea pigs and rabbits. You get all these different types, long hair, short hair. Um, I'm not an expert on rats, but uh, yeah, they're, they're going to have a show and, uh, and uh, they're going to have, uh, you know, judge, being judged, and there'll be a first place rat uh, at the end of the weekend. I don't, I don't know if I'd, if I'd want to be the owner of the first place rat in the world, but um, um, I don't know, Brian. If are you a cat person at all? Do you like cats? No, I, I'm a, I'm a purely a dog person. Dog person. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like my dogs. I breed Dobermans uh, and Spanish Schnauzers, and uh, I've been involved in the in the dog world for, for 30 or 35 years. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm. I'm pretty, that's where the show actually started was yeah. to, was to really try and un, get people to understand responsible pet ownership. And that responsible pet ownership is is when you select a dog. You know, you've got to select a dog that suits your lifestyle, suits your home environment. Uh, you know, they're, 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 that's why a lot of dogs end up in shelters is because they buy a little furry puppy, and uh, you know, eight months later, it's now a 50 kilogram huge dog. Mm. which they didn't realize at the time. So, yeah, what, what, one of the main things that WODAC is all about uh, is about trying to educate the public on making those right decisions and by giving them 
information by educating them and hopefully then they understand what is involved when you take on a, a particularly a dog. A dog is probably the more responsibility of all the pets. And it's not only responsible pet ownership that's key to you, but um, I believe this year you're trying to break a Guinness World Record for the most pet food collected over a week. Absolutely. Uh, we've gone in uh, with Ford Motor Company have come on board with Complete Pet Food in Wodak. Between the three of, three of us, we're trying now to raise uh, or collect 20 tons of dog food over the weekend. Uh, and if we do manage to collect uh, 20 tons, then we will break the Guinness Book of Records. So we've got Ford involved. I think there are 13 dealerships uh, around Houting that will take the, uh, you can drop off your food of any type uh, at their Ford dealerships. And then on Sunday, all that food will be brought to to the venue at Gallagher. And uh, we will wait and hopefully, but, you know, a Guinness Book of Records, there's quite a lot of red tape one's got to follow. Yeah, yeah, sure. we, the whole thing has got to be videoed and, yeah. and recorded. It's like this uh, onerous task to, to do the Guinness. But yeah, we're hoping. And then all that food will get divided between, uh, I think it's uh, 13 different charities. Yeah. Um, we will, that food will be distributed. Well, I'm extremely excited to be participating this weekend in the Celebrity um, Dog Agility Training Course. Um, I'm not quite sure which doggy I'll get, but I'll have to have a chat with him before and make him uh, very obedient because I need to win this. <clears throat> so, Brian, um, obviously we can go to dogscats.co.za for more information. Um, and how are, uh, where, where can people get tickets? Can they pay when they get to the door? Yes, no, uh, it's, uh, the, we've, we've got uh, cashiers at the door, so they, they, it will be, uh, the tickets are, are on sale, so I would suggest people just come along on, uh, on, the, on the weekend. Uh, if they like a, a quieter day, then Friday is Family Day, where we have promoted kids, uh, children under 12 free, and uh, pensioners and, uh, pensioners and uh, adults are only 60 around. On, so it's a, it's a cheaper day is on Friday, so... If you don't like the crowds, Friday is your day. And then on Saturday and Sunday, adults are 85 rand, pensioners 70 rand, and children under 12, 40 rand. Fantastic. Brian, thanks for taking time out to talk to us. I know that it's really busy this week, um, and I really hope that the show is an absolute success. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. That's that's Brian Blades, who's the MD of WODAC. That's the World of Dogs and Cats taking place this weekend at the Gallagher Convention Centre in Midran. That's the 18th to the 20th of July. Let's continue our doggy style section of uh, heavy petting. And um, we take a look now at Bella and her life-saving chair. It obviously caught my attention. I checked it out on Google. Um, It's about dog owners who've come up with an inventive way to help their dog swallow food. Let's take a look. Bella, time to eat. Come get it. Bella couldn't eat. Every time John tried to feed her, the food wouldn't go down. When we first got her, she was pretty much starving because she couldn't swallow food on her own. So we took her to the vet just to figure out what was going on. The vet discovers a frightening problem. Bella has megaesophagus, a life-threatening birth defect that paralyzes her esophagus. What happens is the muscles are not working correctly, so they can't contract. And if they can't contract, then you can't get food pushed from the mouth down to the stomach. And as a result, food accumulates in the esophagus. And then what can happen is little bits of food can go back into the throat and get inhaled into the lungs. Usually, if you don't do anything with these dogs, then they'll often die. 
The situation is dire. Unable to swallow, Bella isn't able to get the nutrition her body needs and will surely die. There is no cure for megaesophagus. When it was first diagnosed in the vet's office, uh, we were really nervous and really scared. Uh, we didn't know if we were going to put this dog down. Luckily, there is a solution to Bella's lethal predicament, a Bailey chair. This innovative chair was designed by a husband and wife whose dog, Bailey, also had megaesophagus. It could be the key to helping Bella keep food down. Now that we have this chair, dogs can do a lot better. The gravity makes the food go all the way into the stomach so that it doesn't come back out and get inhaled into the lungs. So John builds a Bailey chair for Bella. This is Bella's chair. Go ahead, get your chair. Incredibly, this determined dog adapts quickly to her dining seat. She even seems to like it and learns to get herself in and flip down the lid all on her own. Now she eats just like a human, sitting up. Food's a pretty powerful motivator. She took to her chair right away. Once you get her in there, she's pretty content. She sits in her chair for about 10 to 15 minutes after feeding and that just allows all the food and water to gradually make its way to her stomach. Bella's amazing skill soon catapults her unexpectedly into the spotlight. This video of her getting into her chair turns into an instant hit. We took the video just to show a person who we met on the internet to see if this is what his dog did. Within, I'd say, three weeks, it had over a million hits. She's living proof of how far one dog with a determined owner and inventive technology can go to keep a beloved bond alive. And it just shows how social media um, can affect uh, that sort of thing as well. I mean, that all started with a YouTube video. And we'll speak to Emma Sadler just in a few moments um, about social media and the animal world. Um, as we continue doggy style, we have been taking a look at the most popular breeds in South Africa of dogs. And number 10 was the Pomeranian. Number 9 this week is the Beagle. This is Bella. She's a Beagle. A breed that everyone recognizes as a great addition to the family. But there's something very interesting about Beagles. You see, the breed is very, very old, with roots dating back to ancient times thousands of years ago. The true origin of the Beagle isn't clear. Some say ancient Greece thousands of years ago. Others say England before Roman times. But most agree the Beagle is probably one of the oldest of the hounds. The main popularity came when the foxhounds were the aristocracy's dogs and the poor man wanted a hunting dog for himself. That's when they started downsizing the uh, English foxhound into the beagle so that they could follow the dog on foot and not have to have horses. Beagles are smart and good hunting dogs. But it wasn't until the 1950s and 60s that the popularity in the breed skyrocketed. I had beagles before I had children. Both of my children grew up in the midst of litters and litters of puppies. And there are so many things about the beagle to love that I don't think anyone can pinpoint one thing. I think it has to be the personality. I love Quincy so much. He means the world to me. I never expected to fall in love with him as much as I have. And he's my best friend. He's my companion. Let's think about this. 
manageable size, great demeanor, very intelligent and friendly. Seems like it has all the great makings for a nice family pet. But if you're thinking about getting one, there are some things you should consider. Beagles are generally a very healthy breed, but there are some health problems for you to be aware of. They're prone to allergies, heart problems, and even epilepsy. Your best insurance policy is to go to a reputable breeder. A conscientious breeder will do their best to select for healthy dogs. Because they are active dogs, they need at least a daily walk, but make sure that their nose doesn't carry them away from you. Although beagles are calm and loving around children, because they're hunters, you have to be careful around non-canine pets. Beagles are a sweet, lively, curious breed that love people. But remember, beagles have minds of their own, so they need patient training and somebody who is comfortable being a strong leader. Stop. Sit. Without the proper training, they can develop some bad habits, such as obsessive barking, biting, or just generally getting into mischief. One of the things that I think that I love the most about getting a beagle is they have a very independent personality. They're not always on your side, but I think that's also one of the things that's most challenging about him. And there have been many, many casualties. It can be a dustpan, it can be toilet paper, it doesn't matter what. And he just takes that and gets this little trot and he runs. Of course, because they're bred for stamina, beagles need a moderate amount of exercise every day. And so do kids, so what a great match, right? And both need room to play. People who successfully keep this dog in the city are committed to taking them on walks every day and may even have an outside area for them to explore in. The perfect owner for a beagle is just about anybody who has the time for a dog and anyone who does not want them to be a protector. If you are looking for a companion to play with, to love, the beagle is the perfect companion for you. Just don't ask him to guard anything. Beagles love companionship and may need the company of people or other dogs so they don't become depressed. So it's important to not leave them home alone for extended periods of time. They could get into mischief. And because they're highly intelligent, it's best that you both find the time to be trained. And then keep it up. After the training, Quincy's now the dog that I wanted him to be, and I knew he could be. I can come home at the end of the day, Quincy's happy to see me, we'll go for a walk, maybe we'll play, but then he will lay at my feet and just relax with me while I unwind. Nowadays, beagles are constantly being ranked among the world's top 10 breeds. That popularity leads to overbreeding to meet the demands of the puppy. So if you're thinking about getting one, make sure you find a reputable breeder, one that really is devoted to enhancing the breed. That way, you'll have a loving, friendly pet with a very sweet and tolerant disposition. He may be a little curious at times, but in the end, you'll have a devoted, lifelong friend. Isn't that right, Bella? This is Heavy Petting on Cliff Central. Call us if you have any questions for our next guest. Her name is um, Emma Sadler, and she is a social media law expert, I think I can call you. I could go with that. <laughs> you might have seen her um, a lot on the Oscar series as we as we call it yeah um and uh, you've been really really busy with that um and what else have you been doing at the moment well it's been a fairly extreme kind of year because i've just um, finished writing a book which is kind of a guide to how not to mess up in the digital age so it's how not to get fired and how not to find yourself arrested or being sued how to manage your children online uh dealing with issues of harassment and sexting and pornography um, and it actually, the reason I wrote the book was because I've been doing a lot of work on revenge porn, 
where people uh, find themselves the victim of content that lands up online, which yeah. <laughs> really shouldn't be there. Yeah. So um, it's called Don't Film Yourself Having Sex, and it'll be published in the next month or so. Uh, yeah. Penguin is publishing it. So so that's been quite a big project. And then just the usual lots of work with the schools, lots of awareness, uh, yeah. trying to teach people about how to be vaguely responsible on the Internet. Mm-hmm. We, we, we know of a couple of people who've been vaguely irresponsible and, and sometimes very detrimentally irresponsible on social media when it comes to animals lately, especially in the news. Um, I mean, we start off with Kendall Jones. She's the uh, Texan cheerleader, 19 years old, has been um, hunting and killing animals for most of her life. But uh, she decided to post all of the pictures on Facebook, caused a major outroar, uproar, rather, outcry. And um, she's uh, faced a couple of legal battles and things like that. I was hoping, Emma, you could explain to us some of the stuff that's happened with her. Yeah, so so I think the most incredible thing about this whole Kendall Jones saga has been Facebook's reaction. So Facebook eventually announced last week that they would indeed delete all the photographs of Kendall Jones on her hunting spree, which just recently took place in Zimbabwe. And um, there was, interestingly, a a page which popped up on Facebook, um, which was called the Kill Kendall Jones Facebook page. And you do kind of ask yourself, and Facebook initially defended that and then took down the photos. Um, of the, of the hunting, and you just ask yourself, where's the where's the consistency in that? Often we see that the backlash, the um, the response to some of this content is even worse than the content itself. Uh, the sort of digital vigilantism which mm. takes place, and just some of the comments on her Facebook page and underneath the art, underneath the photographs that she's posted of her and hunting kit, you know, it's death threats and it's rape threats. So that kind of stuff is is really terrible. But I think, you know, I often say about social media, the, the best thing about social media is that it gives everyone a voice. The worst thing about social media is that it gives everyone a voice. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I think the Kendall Jones, uh, the Kendall Jones issue was interesting. You know, she didn't, she didn't do anything illegal in in killing those animals. Yeah. Um, it's really just a moral question. That's it. And so, in my reading, actually, of Facebook's terms and conditions. I don't think that they should have removed those photos. So I think it was, it was um, I think it was a poor decision actually on their part. What Facebook's terms say is that they will remove any content which promotes poaching of endangered species, um, or the sale of animals for organised fighting, um, or any acts of extreme animal abuse. Now, um, obviously, the, the, people will say that this was an act of extreme animal abuse, but it's hunting. And this is some, something we've seen before. We saw it with Michelle Bachmann when she mm. killed that lion. It's legal hunting. It it's is been legal hunting. For, it's been arranged. Um, and, uh, and, you know, more recently this week we saw, I don't know if you followed this, Leanne, but it was the, the Belgian girl, the 17-year-old Belgian yes, girl. Yes, the model. Exactly, who was given this contract by L'Oreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, then a picture of her on Facebook. I think actually the, the objectionable bit there was the comment underneath the picture because there was a picture of her. Uh, she had shot a buck. And underneath the picture, um, she had said something like, this is what we're going to do to the Americans today because Belgium was playing America that day. Mm. So I think actually the, co- the, the, the content underneath made it worse. Yeah. Um, so, so she actually has lost her contract from L'Oreal. They've mm-hmm. just announced that they are um, not going to give her the contract as promised because of this picture. Now, that's also um, fairly hypocritical from L'Oreal's point of view because L'Oreal still tests all its products on animals, mm, which is probably a far worse thing than than shooting a buck. So, so, so there is, you know, you do find that there are these sort of extreme bunny huggers online who who think it's all right to say that people should be killed and raped, and and that uh, actually the animals um, should should you know be treated better than better than anything. But 
uh, this week I opened up my Facebook on on Monday morning and there were pictures of uh, children who had allegedly been killed in Gaza. Very, very offensive in my view. Mm. Um, and so for me, I spent I spent a lot of time this week just thinking about when social media websites should intervene and delete content yeah. um, and when it should be there. And, you know, I think sometimes these things, social media is an incredible force for good when it comes to animal rights issues. Um, you know, just raising this kind of awareness that there are these kind of hunts going on. Maybe that'll lead to some kind of legislative change. We don't know. But it's an incredible organizational tool for like-minded people mm. uh, to stand up against animal abuse. And we see, I don't know if you saw this this last week, the, the story of the elephant in India who'd been chained for 50 years. Yes, and he, he was released and apparently cried when he was released as well. And subsequently, I believe he's died, which is terribly sad. Yeah. But... Um, but there was a hashtag save Buljar. I think that the, the, the elephant's name was Bulraj or Biljar or something. And uh, it was as really as a result of this campaign on social media which, that he was released. Yes. And I, you know, I'm a, I'm a horse rider, so I, I've, I'm big on horse issues. And a company like, well, a, a non-profit organization like Highfelt Horse Care, how unbelievable Facebook has been as a tool for them. Uh, you know, everybody who goes out on these inspections, they take pictures of the animals, they take pictures of the cruelty that goes online. And they've made a whole lot more money now mm-hmm. through donations because people are seeing it. So it's a tool, you know, it's free, it's easy for everybody to use. So I think we can't underestimate this, the sort of the cause, yeah. the, 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 the good that comes out of it. I think it's educational as well. It, yeah, I think it's done a lot more good than it has bad um, social media for, for animals and, and various causes. Um, but some of the bad that we have highlighted just recently, because it's been in top of mind, um, recently there was the Nick nomination of crazy phase on Facebook where uh, people were dared to don drinks of various types. And uh, there was a, a kid at McDonald's in the UK who bought a, a live goldfish from a pet store, put him into the beer and downed him as part of his neck nomination craze. Yeah, well, I think that this is just spectacular when people use social media to bust themselves. You know, if you're going to do something <laughs> illegal, then don't don't film it. Um, it really is, is. It's not rocket science. You, you do want to sort of take the Waterclue Four who were released on parole um, and, you know, film themselves having a party in the jail cell yeah. and then sort of bought themselves at least another year in, in jail. You, you do want to shake them a bit. Um, so, so in the same vein, we do see people people being prosecuted because, of course, all content on social media can be used in evidence mm-hmm. in court cases. So the, the incident you refer to was a YouTube clip. Um, it was a guy in England, as you say, a guy called Gavin Hope, and he uh, was arrested and charged with animal cruelty and uh, prosecuted. He was sentenced to a 300-pound fine um, and costs because in England, quite distinctly from the South African legal system, is if you are prosecuted in a crime – you can be ordered to pay the costs of the state um, for for um, for, prosecu- for prosecuting you. So it was a really costly exercise. It was a really costly exercise. And then um, we saw somebody in America, a 21-year-old guy, who uh, kicked a kitten to death, and there was footage of that. Because uh, you know everybody's got a phone, so if you do see that kind of cruelty going on, you can take you can take that footage, and that can be very powerful in court cases. So uh, he was he was arrested and he was actually sentenced to prison for animal cruelty because he kicked this kitten to death and that, that footage appeared on Facebook. Mm. So so those sort of extreme acts of animal violence yeah. are, you know, <laughs> actually social media can just be a wonderful tool uh, to bring these guys to justice. Again, there were the um, Cape Town schoolgirls yeah. um, who were involved in, I don't know, Besides it being horrible, I just can't wrap my mind around it. Well, I, I just, you know, if, we, if you don't know what we're talking about, this was in a series uh, which they, they named Squishing Nemo, and it falls 
part of a, a fetish um, section of pornographic content, which um, basically requires people to squish small animals to death during acts sexual, sexual yeah, yeah, yeah. sexual acts. Yeah. So, so, so there were these Cape Town schoolgirls, young young girls. Um, I think they were 15, uh, who were in their school uniform and um, were squishing goldfish while they were in some kind of, you know, sexual activity. And they, of course, have been expelled from school, and I, and I believe they're being prosecuted. Uh, you know, how people can even begin to, uh, I, of all the things I've yeah, been asked to comment on this year, this definitely forms into the most extreme category. Yeah, no, it really is. And uh, the voyage I had into the underbelly of the internet when researching, um, sure. because I just couldn't actually believe that it existed. Um, so, uh, you know, a note to our listeners, don't, don't, don't Google it because it cannot be unseen. Yeah, um, that, but, and um, again, these are people busting themselves by filming themselves. Absolutely. So, so um, I think that... The most interesting thing for me from a legal perspective is that these platforms, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, they need to come up with some kind of uh, proper rules which they enforce um, about when they will take content down from the Internet. Mm. Because, you know, we had Instagram taking down a picture the other day of a little two-year-old uh, toddler looking at her belly. She was wearing uh, she was wearing bottoms, but she she was wearing a T-shirt and she sort of picked up her T-shirt when she was looking at her belly. Yeah. And they removed that on the basis that it was, was child pornography. We see yeah. uh, Facebook removing pictures of people breastfeeding. Um, but uh, you know, hunting for me, if it's, if it's a legal activity, then we should have that content online. They shouldn't be deleting it, and it can be very useful uh, for this sort of campaigning and for yeah. and for regime change. And as we say, I think that's that's where it's been most positive. Uh, we've got a little wild animal, live animal rather, in the studio. I'm very excited. I, I can't even speak. <clears throat> Emma, thank you so much for being here today. Thank and you for having me. Geez, there's a lot more we can speak about on this, so please join us again. And good luck with your book. Thank you very much. That's Emma Sadler listening to Heavy Petting um, on Cliff Central. And, uh, yeah, we're almost running out of time today. The show's just flown. Um, so very quickly, well, not that quickly. I mean, we've got a, a good five minutes we can chat. Um, we've got two people here from Ark Animal Center. Um, one of whom is holding a little fluffy doggy who I'm going to put on my lap while we speak. So welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Leanne. Um, thank you very much for having us. Um, we just quickly want to tell you about Mandela Day that we have. Please having. do. I think yes, that's really that's very important. Very important. And that's this Friday. Yes. Are you guys actually doing something on the Friday? Yes, we are. We actually, so far, I think we've got about 200 people that are expected to come. Okay. Um, we're actually going to do a play area for kids. Um, we've found that people are wanting to have their kids' birthday parties there. So we're going to transform the area to make it nice, which will bring in funds for us. And it also is a very good platform for us to um, educate. Okay. So, so how do people get involved in this? They can just pitch. Okay. Um, <laughs> last year, I think we had about 400 people. It was so wonderful. It really was. Everybody came in. They did their 67 minutes. They planted a few trees. So we've got a lot of jobs that you can do that will take 67 minutes. We've got other jobs that can take you four hours. So whatever amount of time you want to spend, you're welcome to just pop into the shelter. Um, if you've got anything lying around your garden, some extra, tiles that are broken, please bring them. If you've got old stepping stones, anything to make, make it look nice, we will be most grateful. Okay, yeah, just come a little closer to the mic. Claire? Uh, Candace. Candace. Sorry, <laughs> this was a terrible, terrible mistake. I did ask you to remind me, please, Candace, that oh. I have some um, second-hand doggy beds in my car that I've been driving around with for ages. So uh, yeah, please let's go and uh, 
collect those on your way out. Um, anything else that we need to know about Ark Animal Center and um, maybe perhaps little doggies that you've been battling to home recently who you'd like to give a little mention about? We've, we've got, you know, we deal mainly in puppies. So the puppies do come and go quite quickly. Um, we do have our um, delinquents, I call them. <laughs> yes. um, they're the teenagers. So we do land up with puppies that don't get homed and also the moms that come in with pups. So those obviously are more difficult to home. We do home them. Um, but we have got a lot of teenagers at the moment that we need to get home. So if anybody's looking for a teenager and they're up to the challenge, please come and meet them. Yeah, it can, <laughs> it can be challenging. Cute. They are cute. They, have, they are cute. They're just naughty. They just test you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you're looking to be tested, then um, do contact Ark Animal Center. Um, what's, what's the easiest way to contact you? Um, either via Facebook. We're on Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, um, pretty much all the social media platforms, or they can just email me. My email is candice at arcanimalcenter.co.za, or just go to our website, also www.arcanimalcenter.co.za, and there's pretty much all the information you'll find on us, the link to our blog, link to every social media platform we're on, and, of course, email addresses and our um, actual physical address. So, yeah. I've actually been to Arc Animal Center. Um, I went with my brother who adopted a dog from from the center and the thing that struck me the most when we arrived was that the little animals some of them are running around um sitting in circles playing with people and you know just really really relaxed and not everyone's in, in a cage which was really great to see i think you were at our old shelter wasn't it that's the one in midran yes that was it yeah, yeah. No, we've now moved to okay. Chartwell, so yes. it's much bigger it's 24 acres now and uh yeah we've still got the dogs running around <laughs> and uh we've got more we've got like a I just say, Tracy, like the puppies shelter, which is the puppies. Then we've got our teenage section, which is our high school. And we're going to be building our maternity ward, which is our goal for the end of the year. High school's maternity ward. It's like a, a little village. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Well, you guys do amazing work. And, yeah, I hope that Mandela Day for you works out really, really well, like it did last year and even better. Last year, Mandela Day for us, we used to have about three or four bags of food. After Mandela Day, we have never wanted for food again, Touchwood. We actually share our food with the other shelters now. So Mandela Day for us is, Brilliant. I, I wish it was three times a year. That's amazing. <laughs> That's so good to hear. Okay, well, I'll put some stuff up on my Facebook and Twitter um, so that you can get involved if you do want to. Uh, Tracy and Claire, thank you so much for joining us. That's Ark Animal Center, and you've been listening to Heavy Petting here on Cliff Central. Um, feel free to email me in the meantime if you'd like um, any special animals featured on the show if you have um, any facts that you want to know about certain breeds of animals or anything like that. Um, and we look forward next week to uh, some more information on where we are in the war against rhino poaching. So email me in the meantime, if you like, it's Leanne, that's L-E-I-G-H hyphen A-N-N at cliffcentral.com. That's Heavy Petting. Thanks for joining us.